This is Daniel Fagella, and you're listening to the AI and Business Podcast. This is a Wednesday episode, so you already know. This is one of our AI is Here series episodes. In the AI is Here series, we're focusing on current areas of AI impact across industries. We've spoken to fantastic experts from defense to life sciences to banking and beyond. And today we're focusing on heavy industry and a little bit more specifically, supply chain. Our guest this week is Carolyn Gorski. She is the group director for R2 Data Labs at Rolls-Royce. Many of you will know the brand Rolls-Royce. They have rather strong brand recognition and they make all kinds of large and heavy machinery that require many numerous parts. So the question is, how can we source those parts? How can we figure out where they are and how can we leverage artificial intelligence to give us better transparency on our supply chain writ large? This episode is a little bit of a peek into the future about how companies will deal with their suppliers. It's a bit of a peek into the future as to how news and outside data sources might affect our supply chain and our estimated dates of arrival for different parts from different vendors from around the world. And importantly, it fits squarely into where AI is making its dent today. Carolyn joined us, I think, about a year ago here on the show, and it's great to be able to have her back on the program going a little bit deeper into AI's current impact. Again, this episode is part of the AI is Here series, sponsored by Samba Nova, to learn a little bit more about Samba Nova and the series itself. Stick around to the outro of this episode, but without further ado, let's fly into the meat and potatoes here. This is Carolyn Gorski of Rolls-Royce here on the AI and Business Podcast. So, Carolyn, welcome back to the show. Hi, Dan. It's great to speak to you again. Yeah, it's fun to be able to connect. It's been a little bit since we've had this chat across the pond, and we get to talk about use cases today. This series of AI is Here is really all about use cases that are making a dent in important global industries. You cannot talk about important global industries without manufacturing, and there's hardly any industry that's had to endure more change since COVID than, than the manufacturing space. What is the use case you wanted to focus us in on today when it comes to AI making an impact there? Yeah, well, I really want to talk about how fragile our global supply chains for complex industrial products are becoming and how that fragility has increased significantly over the last two or three years and what it is that AI, particularly in supporting through optimization, can do to help to repair some of that fragility and to help us to redirect our thinking away from simply optimizing for cost reduction and lowering risk of supply chains and into optimizing for sustainability and reducing the carbon emissions across our supply chain footprints. Got it. And clearly something more and more enterprises are focused on. Companies are getting funded or regulatorily punished based on those kinds of results. Certainly something customers care more about. So cool. We'll be able to kind of unpack this a little bit. To kick us off, and I'm sure there's going to be more detail we can get into, Carolyn, but I'd love to set the table for the listeners as to how this use case comes to life. You know, you, you mentioned fragility. Maybe we could unpack fragility and then I'm going to get into what the kinds of data is that we're using and then how that manifests and being able to help us optimize. But talk to us a little bit about the situation we're sitting in, because obviously you folks are focusing on this use case because of how important it is. And I feel like fragility is part of its importance. What do you mean by that? What should we understand about this global fragility issue? Yeah, well, let me just give you a few statistics and, and I'll cite them for you. 
from where they've come from. But so the Harvard Business Review recently did a survey of the supply chains of 100 OEMs in the high tech automotive and consumer goods space who have supply chains that operate across the USA, China and Taiwan. And what they were looking for is how many high value supply chain partners who are at high risk of climate change disruption, so flooding or other related disruptions associated with climate change, how many of those have got really resilient business plans and continuity plans in place? And the answer is 11% of them. Now, that means 89% of the supply chain partners in those incredibly you know, fast moving spaces are at real risk of massive disruption if we see forest fires, if we see flooding, if we see more hurricanes, all of which we've seen increasing prevalence of across the last few years and, and we expect to see more. At the same time, in 2020, the demand for goods, physical goods in the USA grew 17%, while demand for services dropped by 2%. And that's the first time since 1929 that the demand for goods grew whilst the demand for services shrank. So the pressure on those supply chains to actually continue to be delivering stuff is only going up. At the same time, as the average price for shipping goods around the world is 25% higher this year than it was a year ago at the peak of the pandemic, when we had all of that blockage in the Suez Canal, it's still from then gone up 25%. And a great deal of that is due to a combination of fuel price increases, local lockdowns and demand spikes. And for us in the UK, piled on top of all of those trends, we see our own HMRC, that the Her Majesty's Revenue and Customs Department, estimating in 2019 that the average cost per year to UK and EU businesses of complying with the Brexit rules is £15 billion. Yowch. And I'm sure nobody wants to endure that. It sounds like these are all some of the major factors that are contributing to the fragility. You'd mentioned sort of companies having these backup plans, these business continuity plans in place. This was specifically for climate-related concerns, just to clarify for the listeners? Yeah, that uh, Harvard Business Review report was specifically looking at places which were subject to greater risk from climate change disasters. So places that were on low floodplains, places that were subject to hurricanes, places where there might be forest fires, all of those kinds of factors contributing to the resilience of the manufacturing supply chain partners in those locations. Understood. Okay, got it. So Sitting on some cracking ice, to say the least, in terms of sort of where manufacturing is today, at least based on the stats you've been able to share with us here today. Now, I guess the consideration is how technology, data, AI can help us sort of navigate in this risky world to be able to optimize for what's important. So that's obviously our business outcomes, but also making sure we also don't contribute to uh, those global warming considerations any, any more than we have to as a business. Talk to us a little bit about where data starts to fly in and what kinds of data fits in. It seems to me like the supply chain is such a infinitely complex animal. You know, we have we have the dates things leave, the dates things are arrived, we have the dates things are ordered, we have how long it takes for them to be sent out from the facility, we have weather patterns. I mean, what kind of info needs to be taken into account for us to build this optimization engine that allows us to, to gauge cost, gauge risk, gauge climate impact? Where do we even get started on the data side? Yeah, so let me talk you through a little bit from the Rolls-Royce example. So my team's been working on this question of how do we apply artificial intelligence into managing complex industrial supply chains probably for about three or four years now. 
So when we think about the Rolls-Royce civil aerospace supply chain, so here we're thinking about all of the components and parts and raw materials and processes and forgings that we need to be able to construct airplane engines. That's about £3.3 billion worth of sourcing across any given year. So about £13 million worth of sourcing every single day from nearly 5,000 vendors across 50,000 parts. Now, actually, we source more than 20,000 tons of high-value metal alloys every year. That's enough to build two Eiffel Towers a year. <laughs> and there are 50 buyers who work across our business to be able to, to manage that purchasing. And at the moment, they're working, or before, before we started working with them, they were working across 12 completely disparate data sources. And much of the data that's held in that data source, those data sources, is, is not or wasn't before we started, wasn't machine readable. So even before you start looking at the data that needs to be collated across the supply chain that is contextual data, some of the, the data types that you were suggesting there, Dan, around weather types, around sure. shipping and logistics information. Before you even start to get into that data, you need to be able to unpack and understand the industrial data that sits within the design and manufacture of the products that you're actually making and how you share that data with your tier two, tier three, tier four suppliers across your supply chain. The challenge in many industrial and manufacturing use cases is that that data was never designed to be machine readable. Nope. Yep. Lots of it's actually saved in engineering drawings or in tables or in mathematical notation, all of which is super hard for, you know, kind of off the off the shelf market based natural language processing and OCR capability to, to be able to ingest and work with. And so there's a there's a big hurdle to get over in the first instance, just to get good data. And then once you've got good data, then you start to be able to do some really interesting things with it. And that's about the kind of augmentation that you can offer to human decision makers by being able to use machine learning and AI to, to optimize across many more dimensions than the human brain is usually capable of dealing with when you are looking for negotiation strategies, looking for buying strategies, looking to be able to prioritize more than simply cost reduction or risk avoidance. And you want to start to optimize for other things, including lowering your carbon footprint. Yeah. So it sounds like step one, and, and I think for enterprises, this is no surprise. And certainly for manufacturing, which all things considered is, is generally a good deal farther behind maybe a handful of other legacy enterprise industry segments, is let's take a look at what we actually have to deal with. Let's take a look at what we're ordering, what we're shipping, the, the data we're going to need to make our inventory and supply chain oriented decisions. And let's make sure we can clean this up and make this machine readable. You brought up some really important points that this stuff was not built for that purpose. You know, back a hundred years ago, when we first started, you know, coming up with some system to track this stuff, it was so that somebody could look it up and find it in some file cabinet somewhere. There, there was no consideration of training this in, in a way that would feed algorithms. Now we have to. So it seems like to solve that problem, it, well, number one, it feels somewhat insurmountable. So it feels like you need to kind of pick your poison. What are the parts of our data ecosystem we actually think are going to be machine accessible within the next X period of time? So we, we can't say do it all. We, we probably have to pick our fights. Number two, I would imagine sometimes this means we need to take in data in a new way. In other words, ingest it in a way where it's more reliable off the get. 
in other cases, we probably have to deal with and untangle the messiness. You, you talked about a, you know, some big messy diagram that has a bunch of data written on it. We might have to, in some cases, unfortunately, have to learn how to scan those. We can't take it in in a more effective way. We have to deal with the ugly and the messy stuff. What is that journey to get our own house in order like? Yeah, so so we started back in 2018 trying to just mapping the data, right? Understanding where it was siloed, what what disparate systems it was in, and beginning to extract, if you like, the easily accessible machine readable content that we could get our get our arms around. And at that point, the biggest challenge we actually faced was not a technical one. It was about gatekeepers in the business who were, you know, kind of afraid of sharing their data because to some degree that's about, you know, relinquishing control over a specific domain or a specific set of expertise that they might have had. As we moved forward into 2019, we started to understand that there were some types of data that were really hard to access, the ones I've already mentioned, we actually started to build and, and have continued to build and indeed patent our own AI IP, which allows us to, to extract data from really hard to access data sources, specifically those engineering drawings, tabulated information and mathematical notation. And those those AI tools, you know, significantly outperform the sort of standard NLP OCR tools in the market because those were not designed for for accessing this complex, hard to understand, often quite scientifically oriented data. And then, of course, we ran into COVID in 2020, and that just really upped the ante because now, you know, having been building some capability to, to help us unlock supply chain information, suddenly our buyers were saying we have to renegotiate everything. You know, we don't know whether our suppliers are gonna are gonna be able to survive this, you know, our fleets are grounded, we can't see our suppliers beyond the first tier. So we need to we need to now have this. AI capabilities stretch beyond our first tier suppliers and into the long tail of the supply chain in order for us to be able to better forecast our demand and the recovery path, not just for us, but also for our suppliers. In a complex industrial supply chain like Rolls-Royce's, there are some products and components that may only be supplied by a handful or even just two suppliers in the world. You know, under those circumstances, we needed to support those suppliers to make sure that they were able to, to ride out the, the, the challenges that the whole industry faced because we need them for recovery. So this is not just about trying to drive cost out of the supply chain. This is also about managing that fragility, managing that risk. You know, you can't afford as the OE of a complex product to have, you know, a situation where in a, in a two supplier market, one of those suppliers goes bust. Yes. Okay. Got it. So, um, so there was the mapping of the data, which as you'd mentioned is a very robust effort. Then there was the development of technology to try to clean, make sense of, and assess this data. Now that you have that data and you can start to combine it with some reliable external sources, what does it look like from kind of a user's perspective to unlock that data to, to basically say, okay, what's going to optimize for cost on ordering this kind of part every three months for the next two years? Or what is going to optimize for carbon impact? And, and I imagine there's so many factors that go into that. How far is the boat going to travel? What kind of transportation is involved? Yada, yada. What does it look like to start to use that data to say, cool, I need to optimize for cost. Cool. I need to optimize for minimal carbon footprint. 
Yeah, absolutely. So there are many of those factors. So there are factors, for example, to do with where the different processing of specific components happens across the life, the, the development life cycle of that component. So, you know, from the extraction of the raw materials through the first processing of that raw material, which might be a forging or a a welding or a, or, a, or a shaping of that material, then it will need to be sent to somewhere else to potentially be to, to be assembled. It may then need to be shipped somewhere else to be tested. So there are there are many, many factors that need to be taken on board when you're thinking about the supply chain processes for complex industrial parts. So this is about understanding, if you like, a, the life cycle of the component you know what exactly where it goes across across all of the light all of the stages of its life until the point at which it ends up in the finished product as well as understanding all of the suppliers who play a role in that life cycle of that component when you think about how we helped the rolls-royce buyers ultimately with their optimization strategies rolls-royce runs a number of very large scale supplier conferences on a on a on a regular cycle so we will hold these conferences every few years sometimes every year sometimes every two years sometimes every five years it depends on the components that we're sourcing we took the first phase that we talked about just now the sort of data cleansing and and data accessibility phase and on top of that we built an ai optimization engine and that engine takes information about pricing. It takes information about the location of the suppliers. It takes information about the family of the part and the processes that the part will go through. It takes information about waste. So how wasteful are the production processes for making that part? And it understands the dynamics in terms of the demand cycle for that part across you know, a year, five years, 10 years, 20 years. And that optimization engine can then crunch all of those things guided by some initial parameters set by the buyers you know we want to achieve a, a cost reduction but we don't want to but we but we want to improve the risk factor for this part so that we, it's it's less we, we've got a more resilient supply chain and we, and we also want to you know emit less carb less carbon in shipping it around so we want you to optimize for those three things simultaneously and the optimization engine will present back a number of strategies to the buyers who then go into you know face-to-face human-to-human negotiations but with that additional optimization strategy available to them and and then there's a, a process where they you know they take a first step into negotiations they learn information they come back they feed that information back into the engine perhaps in this case it might be price adjustments and then the engine will re-optimize again got it okay cool and so we're really seeing a good example of, I guess, augmenting intelligent human decision making with AI. In this Absolutely, case, basically yeah. taking this is a, not an autonomous decision yeah. control certainly. system. Yeah. It's an augment. It's a human augmentation system. Yep. So, you know, I'm I'm imagining a bit of a future here, Carolyn, where any sophisticated global manufacturing firm is, you know, maybe they have custom solutions like you guys. I would imagine that an entire ecosystem is going to erupt of all kinds of different vendors that maybe potentially serve similar purposes. And we, we already know that some of them exist around inventory prediction and, and other things like that. You guys got a jump start four years ago. You've built some of your own stuff. It feels like we're entering a world where when manufacturers are making procurement decisions, they're starting from maybe a, a negotiation point of a much more informed negotiation point. In other words, what are the relative risks financially and environmentally or you know catastrophically to the different vendors that I could work with who are the vendors I could work with what are the kind of times and constraints for these folks it, it feels like we're just going to have a more informed 
set of B2B contacts for everything supply chain into the future here? Well, I think there's two things to bear in mind here. I think one is that th this is a great example of where you are directing an AI to do the things that machine learning is really good at and the human brain is not good at, but you're empowering by doing that the humans to do the things that the human brain is really good at that the AI is not good at. So this for me is a really nice example of, of kind of a win-win strategy between your human intelligence and your artificial intelligence. And I think that's important because in this example, I'm talking about complex supply chain purchasing activity. I'm not really talking about commodity supply chain purchasing. And I, I can see a future really, I mean, and to be perfectly honest, it's been coming for the last 20 years with commodity supply chains. I can see, a, 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 you know, that that could be an entirely AI autonomous control driven process. And in fact, there are there are many kind of online reverse auction sites who have been working for a long time across commodity supply chain purchasing, where essentially you set a target price and then, you know, and then an algorithm goes off and negotiates with a whole bunch of other algorithms to find you those commodities at the value that the pr target price you've set, you know, with the quality measures that you want. And, and it just comes back and says, we've bought them for you. So on the one hand, in the commodity marketplace, I, I think there's a lot of autonomous control that will continue to develop. And there'll be a lot of really basically easy to manage things that will be bought automatically by AIs and already being bought automatically by, by AIs. The difference in this use case is this is about highly complex purchasing of components and, and finished parts, which may have a very, very thin base of suppliers who can even do this work, right? This work is highly complicated. And what that means is that we should be able to get to a point where those supply chains become more resilient. They are less subject to the kind of upheavals that we have seen over the last two or three years. Clearly, those upheavals will still happen. But if we've got optimization happening across those complex supply chains, think, for example, of the supply chain for vaccines or the supply chain for personal protective gear. Yeah. Um, we saw huge upheaval and real problems in in those supply chains over the last two or three years. And partly that's because of the, the certainly in the case of vaccines, the complexity of, of actually making them and shipping them under the conditions that is required to keep their quality at the level that you need them to be. So if we have greater balance between artificial intelligence and human intelligence that's really complementary, we should be able to remove a significant amount of that fragility from those supply chains across the next few decades. Got it. So one potential impact looking forward is the reduction of that fragility by starting from this more informed vantage point and being able to make much better estimates as to the impact of our supply chain decisions. Anything else in terms of closing notes for the enterprise leaders tuned in, when we think about the world they're going to be entering as this use case, which is already making an impact today, becomes more and more powerful. Any other way that this is going to change the way business operates or supply chain operates that leaders should know as, as we, we head off into the, the five years ahead? Yeah, well, one thing I would say, and I'll just cite some examples of, of the value that was generated just from one single one of those procurement conferences that this technology supported for Rolls-Royce. So in one conference, just sourcing one family of components, using the AI application to help support the buyers was able to unlock 180 million pounds worth of value saved over the next sort of 10 to 20 years across those component families, reduced forecasted spend by 15%. But also really critically importantly, 
reduce the carbon emissions from sourcing those products across the future period of buying by 40%. So that saved the equivalent of 100,000 trees by optimizing that one single sourcing conference. And it also reduced, you remember I talked about how we were optimizing for lower waste procedures. Yes, yes. We managed also to recycle scrap materials by understanding the waste procedures that were going to be happening in that procurement, saving more than six million pounds worth of materials every single year. So what I would say for the executives listening here is as you supply chains used to be first and foremost about cost and quality. And then they became about cost, quality and risk. But we are in an inescapable place where we now need to talk about cost, quality, risk, and sustainability. And no human brain in the world can effectively optimize across all four of those things simultaneously. Our brains don't work that way. That's the way artificial intelligences work. We are really, really good at if we get given a better set of optimized strategies, then being able to have the human to human negotiation to make sure we get the right deal with the right partner who's going to work well with us. So I think for business executives listening, considering how much more complex that supply chain world is going to become, how many more dynamics you're going to need to, to be optimizing for, introducing artificial intelligence as an augmentation to your human intelligence is going to be a critical step over the next five to 10 years. Got it. So, okay. Important considerations for the humans tuned in. I would, man, we can make a very strong argument that even optimizing for cost, just based on how many variables there are, would really require us to have strong technology support. But to your point, optimizing for all four of those things, increasingly now sustainability as a real must in the enterprise going to be tough to do inside of our noggin here. So there's a little bit of a, an inevitab inevitability angle as to why these technologies are picking up. And also, I appreciate, Carolyn, you sharing some of the information based on your own claims about the impact that you guys have seen from being able to leverage this today. And I hope that that's a precursor for what other enterprises see into the future. So I know that's all we had for time on this episode. But Caroline, thank you so much again for being able to join us. No problem. Great to talk to you, Dan. So that's all for this episode of the AI and Business Podcast. A big thank you to you, our listener, and thank you to Carolyn for being able to join us in this episode. As I mentioned, this series is brought to you by Samba Nova. Samba Nova gave us a pretty wide mandate to speak to AI leaders at leading organizations around the world around where AI is currently hitting the ground running. And we've taken that opportunity to bring you great guests like Carolyn. So we've had a lot of fun with this series. We've got a little bit more Wednesday action for you in the future weeks ahead, so stay tuned in that regard. You can learn more about Samba Nova at sambanova.com slash AI-is-here. And you can learn more about reaching Emerge's global executive audience through sponsored podcasts, newsletters, and more at emerj.com slash ad1. AD like advertise and then the number one, emerj.com slash AD1. That's all for this episode. Look forward to catching you in the next one here on the AI and Business Podcast.